Our theme, of course, uh, has been and is uh, generations. Implied in the uh, even mention of generations is the, um, the awareness of generation gaps, the you know, the generation gap, the cultural, emotional distance, disconnect sometimes between uh, generations, from one generation to the next. My hunch is that, uh, that the generation gap is not something new. I can, imagine, uh, <clears throat> I can imagine Adam and Eve saying, oh, I wish Cain and Abel would just be more responsible. And I can hear that Cain and... Abel saying, I wish mom and dad would just get with it. You know, they're so behind things. <clears throat> but, the, but social scientists, experts tell us that the generation gap that has been, I guess, is, as old as history is getting deeper and wider and worse. That the gap between generations today is greater than at any time. Even, you know, the 60s were tumultuous and the generation gap was great. It may be even greater, they say, today. And part of that is because we don't, we don't share experiences. There was a day when, on Sunday afternoon, all the family would get together and, and eat dinner, and then granddaddies would go, and they'd, you know, they'd pitch horseshoes with their grandkids. Not so much anymore with the advent of busy schedules and video games, things, you know, those kind of things. Things have changed. We don't share technology. If you want to have fun this afternoon, go home and Google or look up on YouTube uh, kids and teenagers trying to use a, uh, a rotary phone. You know, that's become a kind of a thing. They put kids and teenagers in a room and they say, make a call, and they don't give them any instructions. When they, they look at that, those numbers and they try to figure out how do you do this, it's a really funny thing. I'll tell you what else is funny. When I go to my kids' houses and I just... I just want to watch television. Like, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to use the remote. I was the remote when I was a kid. <laughs> Mom or dad would say, get up and go change the channel. And I'd, I'd walk over and I'd go to one of three channels, right? Today, I don't even know how to use the remote at my kid. They don't even, they don't have they don't have even they don't even have cable and satellite like everybody you know every red-blooded American should have they don't have that they they have Hulu and um, they have a Roku stick and they they watch YouTube television I don't even know I don't even I don't even know how to do that so they have to tell me every time if I want to watch a ball game they have to patiently explain to me how to grab one of eight remotes and you know <laughs> turn it on I think God intended TV to be watched by antenna. I used to go out, <laughs> you know, dad, the wind would blow and the picture would get fuzzy. And my dad would, I'd, I'd go outside and I'd grab the antenna and, and through the, you know, through the window he would, how many of you have ever adjusted a, an antenna, turned it, say thank you? So, you know, he'd yell, he'd say, okay, a little bit more, no, that's good, wait, go back, wait, that's good. And then we'd get, you know, we'd get the... Hulu and Roku, those aren't even words. They're just, they're just made up sounds. Hulu, who made that up? It's not the way God intended TV to be, to be watched. We don't share experiences. We don't share, we don't share technology. And sometimes it's more than just 
a lack of shared experience and technology. Sometimes there's tension, tension between generations. In the 1960s, there was a rock group called The Who, and in 1965, they recorded a song, Generations, and, um, and reflects the tension in the 60s. I would say reflected again today. People try to put us down, they sang, just because we get around. The things they do, talking about people like me, the things they do look awfully cold. I hope I die before I get old. Two did. Two didn't live to be old. The two that remain, there were four of them in the group. The two that remain are ages 74 and 75 now, which seems a lot younger to me than it used to. Sometimes there's tension between generations People older than I am don't want to be dishonored. People younger than I am don't want to be dismissed. People older than I am don't want to be shoved aside. People younger than I am don't want to be held back. People younger than I am and older than I am both want to be respected by other generations. And so this campaign has come for us, become for us an opportunity not just to talk about raising money, not just to talk about a new building and renovated space. It's, this has been an opportunity that I didn't anticipate. It's been an opportunity for us as generations to, to strengthen the, the bond between us, to, to honor each other, and, and to more deeply cement our relationships between generations. And so the text that has guided us, and you've already heard read, Twice this morning, Psalm 71, 18, even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O Lord, until I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. So we're going to spend the next few minutes walking through that. Before our time of commitment, we're going to walk through phrase by phrase that, that powerful verse, first, even when I am old and gray. One thing I've learned, and I had never thought about before, but in my study for this series, I've learned the difference between Sarah old and Caleb old. Remember, I, I've talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Abraham and God promised Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And of your great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren, it will become a wonderful nation, a big, powerful nation. But Abraham and Sarah had grown too old to bear children. And so Sarah had given up on the promise. And so when two angels said to Abraham, when we come back, Sarah's by the time we get back next year, Sarah's going to have a baby. Sarah laughed out loud, and she said, we're too old. Caleb, on the other hand, was 40 years old at the Exodus when God led the people of Israel out of Egypt. 40, they, because of their faithlessness, they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, and at age 80, they crossed the Jordan River into Canaan. Five years later, they had conquered most of Canaan, enough at least to divvy up the land. And so Caleb said, I am 85 now give me the hill country. Let the, let the young folks have the fertile valley of the Jordan. Give me the tough places. Give me the hill country. Sarah old says, we're too old. Caleb old says, give me the hill country. I want to be, be Caleb old. You know, um, Pat Cassidy is one of our members who enrolled in the University of Alabama in 1947. But she burned out and she left. She re-enrolled, she went back and she graduated in um, 
in 2018, seven decades later. Now, uh, Pat is real regular in attendance, but she's had a hard stretch, and she's home, and I'm sure she's watching on television, so I ain't going to say she's Caleb old. What I'm going to say is she is taking advantage of her chronological advancement, and she is. I want to be the kind of person that, that takes advantage of, of my chronological advancement. Robert Browning wrote, come grow old along with me. The best is yet to be. The best of life is yet to be. The second half for which the first half was made. The second half of life. You know, the first half is just preparation for the second half. I hope we will be, those of us uh, who are in the second half, will be Caleb old, not uh, Sarah old. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O Lord. Don't forsake me. That's odd because God already had promised in Joshua 1, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I will, you're never going to get rid of me. So why would he pray now? Don't forsake me. Because I think, I think it's, it's all wrapped up in the blessing. Because although God will never forsake us, uh, he can withdraw his blessing. Revelation uh, 2 is, is, is the word of the Lord for the church at Ephesus where he says, if you do not repent, I will remove the lampstand. The lampstand is a, a symbol of blessing. So he says, if you don't repent, then I'm going to pull back my hand of blessing. And, and in and, and study this week, I, I, I read Micah 4, 6 where it says, if the, the children do not turn their hearts to their parents, and if the parents do not turn their hearts to their children, I will not bless their land. So this thing of blessing has something to do with, with generations and our relationships. So it's not drama and it's not exaggeration to say, I believe God will bless us. But if we don't get the generations thing right, then he could withhold, withdraw his hand of blessing. Even when I'm old and gray, do not... Uh, withdraw your blessing, O Lord, till I declare your power, your mighty acts. Why would... Why would he say mighty acts and power? Why wouldn't he say, until I declare your love to the next generation, until I declare your ways to the next generation, until I declare your word to the next generation, until I declare your glory to the next generation? Why would he say, until I declare your power? Well, I don't know, I, and I consulted the commentaries, the, the experts this week, and they didn't give me any help, but I, I, do have a, I do have a hunch that in whatever the context was at that point in history, for the psalmist, the most important attribute of God was his power. And I got to say, standing here before you at such a momentous occasion as this, uh, I'm grateful for that power. My first capital campaign was at the wonderful Lucas Grove Baptist Church. We raised $40,000 to build two children's rooms and a baptistry. My second campaign was at another great church in Mount Washington, Kentucky, but it, the campaign was a lot bigger. We were building a wonderful a Christian life center, which became the social and recreational center of our, of our community. And we were building a gathering room, and we were renovating this big, beautiful chapel. And I was feeling overwhelmed. And Tom Jasper, who was one of the leaders in the church, he was the, he was the head of the, the uh, building committee. One morning, knowing that I was overwhelmed, he, in his devotion that morning, he, he read something that he, he then faxed over to me at the, from his home to the church. It was 1998. And he, he, he faxed over... Um, 
this motto that uh, hangs over the door of some church in Missouri. And it says, we believe the power behind us is greater than the task ahead. That was several years and several building campaigns ago. But I still, I still choose to believe, even though quite frankly I do, I, I have had some butterflies, you know, this week about today. I still believe that the power behind us is greater than the task ahead. So I'm thrilled that the psalmist said, we're going to declare your power, what you can do to the next generation. Even when I'm old and gray, don't withhold your blessing, O Lord, until, until I declare your power, your mighty acts to the next generation, to all who are to come, to the next generation. In the Bible, it's clear that respect and honor run both ways for generations. Paul, for example, wrote to Timothy, and, and he said, don't let them despise you because you're young. But he also told them how to, and, and Timothy was a young pastor. He also turned around to Timothy and said, but here's how you speak to your elders. So honor runs both directions. But time after time, and don't look now, but on the front of your bulletins are several Several verses about generations, and, and, and about half of them claim the recurring theme, and that is that the, that the primary responsibility for generational relationships rests on, on the, the older generation, that the burden rests on us to turn around and bless the generations that are to come, to turn around and volunteer in Sunday school and child care and on Wednesday nights in music and missions, to turn around when kids are fidgety and instead of giving them the evil eye, say to parents, hey, my kids did that too. We're just glad you're here. To turn around on Wednesday nights to say to parents, you know, parents that are, that are juggling three kids in a booster seat and a tray and to grab one of them, not the kids, the trays, I mean, you know, and, and say, here, let us help you. Let us help you with that. They might, they might just send you grab a kid, come to think of it, but you know what I'm saying, just help the, help the, our, it is on us to turn around and bless the next generation. This Wednesday, a man in our church who is enjoying his chronological advancement came to me and said, Today I came by the church office and I, I brought my pledge for the Generations Campaign. Only he said, I didn't bring a pledge. He said, I brought my whole three-year gift. And he said, I, I, I took yours and Carrie's lead on this double tithe thing. So he said, for three years I'm going to give an additional tithe and I'm going to give it to the Generations Campaign. But he said, I'm not sure I'm going to be around in three years. And I wanted to be, a, I wanted to be sure... Uh, to fulfill my commitment. Now, I think he's going to be around a lot, lot longer than three years, but he doesn't know. So he wanted to make sure that, uh, that he blesses the next generation. Even when I'm old and gray, do not withdraw your hand of blessing, O Lord, until I declare your power, your mighty acts, to the next generation, to all who are to come. You know, in the old days, they used to, pass values down from generation to generation. They used to instill culture or build culture by, by telling stories. So around fires and as parents tuck their children in, 
They would always tell stories to, to pass on the culture, to pass on the values. And even in the Bible, lots of the stories of the Bible were passed on generation to generation until, inspired by God's Spirit, someone wrote them down. So there's stories that I love to tell, and I tell them over and over, and because I think they, they reflect our values, and I want to pass on those values generation to generation, and to new people who come. I want them to hear the same stories over and over, because I think they're important to remind us all of our values. The first story I love to tell, uh, and I'll tell it again uh, sometime, is the story, my, my favorite story, the story of my dad. You know, my dad living on Sand Mountain with his first family, who met a woman and, and ran off with her and left his first family. Then they got married and they moved to Anniston. My dad had a sixth grade education, a gold tooth, where his real tooth had gotten knocked out in a fight. And let's be honest, my dad was the kind of guy that a lot of church folks gossip about instead of reaching out to. My dad was the kind of guy that lots of church folks gossip about instead of reaching out to. But there was a church that had a tent revival in downtown Anniston. My dad went and experienced a dramatic conversion where he threw himself on the mercy of God. And by the time I came along eight or ten years later, he was a wonderful dad and a wonderful husband, a man of whom I'm really, really proud because the church was willing to, to go beyond the, you know, the norm and because I want, us, I want us to be a tent revival kind of church. Second story I love to tell is the one about Jimmy Carter, whose mom said, you know, when during the Great Depression, when the hobos would come to their back door and they'd come in and eat, and and one day Miss Lillian Carter said, you know, I'm, you know, I'm always glad when you come, but I notice that you don't always go to our neighbor, don't go to our neighbors' houses. Why is that? And they said, well, Miss Carter, there are marks on your mailbox that say, and it's kind of code, it's like hobo code, that say we are welcomed here. And it's different from what we read on other people's mailboxes. And I've said, I want to make sure that our mailbox, that the the symbols in our mailbox say everybody's welcome here, no matter their generation or their, their life station, that everybody is welcome here. I want to keep telling that story. And then there's another story I've only told once, the first of countless times that I probably will tell it. And it's about Simp McGee, who... There's a restaurant named for him over in Decatur. He, he was from Decatur. He's buried in Gunnersville. He was a riverboat captain. He used to go up and down the Tennessee River between Decatur and Chattanooga. And there was a place, there, was a, there were some rapids called the Chute. Up just right about, just this side of Chattanooga, right about there where Tennessee and Georgia and Alabama come together. And riverboat captains hated the chute because it was dangerous. Before the TVA reconfigured uh, the river, it was narrow and shallow, and it was rocky, and it was swift, and it was dangerous. And riverboat captains hated the chute. In fact, there were remains of boats on the, on the banks of the Tennessee at the chute. Reminders every time you come up here, this is dangerous territory. But Simp McGee loved the chute. So when they'd get to the chute, he'd, um, he'd say to the, the, the deckhands or the, the crew, he'd say, grab your shovels, hang on to your britches, and kiss your girlfriend goodbye. And they'd run the chute. He'd say, grab your shovels, because that's what they did when they got to the chute. They needed the fire in the engine to be really hot to provide a lot of power, so they would shovel extra wood into the furnace. But then there, there was a part of the chute 
that was particularly dangerous. And you couldn't afford, in, in rapids like that, you couldn't afford to be swept here and there by the current. You couldn't afford to be swept here and there by the rapids. or it, That could be, could be fatal. So that's when he would say, lay the fat on. They had animal fat in a big vat there. I'm glad that wasn't my job to bring in the animal fat. They had a big vat of animal fat. And when it got, when they really needed the power, they really needed to run rapidly and straight, they would they'd shovel that animal fat because it burns real fast and it provides a lot of energy and, and they'd lay the fat on. Well, in a, just a minute, we're about, to, we're about to lay the fat on. You know, we, the North American church has reached the chute where there are fewer and fewer people even claim to be Christian. If you, you know, look, there are a lot of people who are increasingly either angry with the church or just disenchanted with the church or who are just ignoring the church. And churches are, are dividing and folding all across the landscape. So we're saying we're going to run the chute. But we need some extra energy and extra power and commitment. So in just a minute, we're going to, we're going to bring our our commitment cards forward. I'm going to give you about three minutes to prepare. Some of you came ready to do that, and you just enjoy uh, the music as Esther plays. And if, you need to, if you need to pray about a new amount, then this is the time for you to do that. And then after a, three minutes or so, uh, I'll get back up, and I'll lead us in a prayer of commitment. And we're going to invite you to come uh, to these three receptacles here from the balcony in the back. We invite you to come and um, we invite you to come and well to, to lay the fat on. So let's prepare. <laughs>